the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast. As always, I am your host, Terry Cook, and you are listening to the Green Room Edition, where we are talking about in the industry-specific topics and the things that relate to us and sharing opinions. Now, it has been quite on my end for a little while because I have largely lost my voice, but I'm back now, so ready to rumble. And today I'm joined by the marvellous Lee Brooks. How are you, Staley? I'm very well. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for that excellent intro. I'm, I've not lost my voice. I'm glad yours is back okay. <laughs> it's, it's not quite there yet. It's still a bit of gruffness on there, but, but we're getting there. I think I'm good to go, and it's great to have you on board. And... You're someone that I've, I've noticed online and I definitely want to speak to Lee, definitely want to chat to Lee. And today we're talking about sort of, uh, CPD and um, why instructors, not necessarily why, but should instructors be paying for it? What the benefit of paying for it is? Why or should we be giving more stuff away for free and, and that kind of stuff? So I think the first sort of point I'd like to throw at you and hear your opinion on is... We see a lot online at the test centres that some instructors are more than happy to pay. They don't bat an eyelid, you know, almost irrelevant of course. It's like, oh, that looks good. Yes, I want to pay for that. And others are really can be quite dogmatic about why should we pay for this stuff? I don't want to pay for it. That, And I tend to see those two extremes. I just wondered if you had an opinion as to why we get those two extremes. I think the, the ADI industry is kind of a very different industry. I mean, I've worked in the public sector in the past. I've worked in different areas in the private sector. And I always find the ADI industry, to, as, as a section of it, is very different from those and that people qualify and they're just happy that they've qualified and they're happy that they're going to go along and they're doing the job and they're getting people through the test. And for them, that's fine. That's all they want to do. They don't want to necessarily expand their knowledge. They don't want to work on their own development or perhaps improve their knowledge so that in turn they're going to get learners through the test. They're going to get a better standard of driver. They're going to produce a safer driver post-test. They just kind of sit in that box and they don't want to develop any further. Now, that's up to them. That's not me to call out people. Um, so yes, you should be going and doing that. That's up to you. But I think one of the one of the criticisms of the industry, or one of the things a lot of us in the industry and people involved in the associations, like um, I am, and not just me, but for a number of years, people have been saying the driver training industry or ADIs, we aren't treated as a profession. We're not taken as seriously by the public as many of the other professions that are out there. I think one of the things that defines professionals and being a professional is that development, that ongoing qualification. There's very few professions out there that I can think of. In fact, I'm struggling to even think of one. If you just qualify and you then start doing that job, that you never have to do anything for the rest of your life then until you retire. So that's one of the one of the reasons why I'm pushing CPD. But do people have to pay for CPD? I mean, I think probably most instructors in some form or another will. Because if you're a member, say even if you're a member of your local association and it costs you £10 a year and that local association is getting in your driving test manager to give you a presentation or somebody's coming down from the DVSA, well, you're still paying indirectly. You're paying to be a member of your local association or perhaps you're a member of a national association. So you're getting weekly updates from the DVSA. Um, perhaps you'll get your magazines to the post with commentary and things like that, things that are changing. So you're still paying for a form of CPD. You're still keeping yourself up to date. I think sometimes people narrow it down and think, well, I've got to be paying to go on a course. 
if you took a, a summary of probably most of the driving instructors in the industry, probably the larger percentage of them, as I say, indirectly will be paying for a form of CPD, whether in their mind they're paying for CPD or not. Yeah. And again, you raised some, some sort of really interesting points out. I want to touch back on a couple, but I think right at the start, you were talking about people coming into the industry. Do you think that a lot of times when people come into the industry, there's they're not necessarily coming from a self-employed background so you you've spent years or decades you know being employed and and being told right you're going on this course you're doing this you're doing this you kind of you're not looking after yourself you're being looked after and all of a sudden you become a driving instructor you're self-employed and you don't have to do anything so do you think for some people it's almost been let off the leash a little bit and hey god do what you want yeah, I think there's definitely an element of that. I think it's kind of linked to what I was saying about in other other professions, where, as you said that, yes, you may be sent on a course, you're not paying for it because you're an employee, but that company is still investing in you and investing in your development. So now you're self-employed. You actually, as you say there, yeah, there is an element of, yes, I'm let off the leash, but also why not invest in yourself, invest in your own development? How much you want to spend on that and the areas that you want to go into are up to you. I know ADIs that off the back of the ADI badge and additional qualifications, they've they've gone all over the world delivering courses and training. Do you think that it's important to, let me rephrase that, how important is it who's promoting that course, who's delivering that course? So you mentioned before about like a local local organisation bringing in uh, the test centre manager. Um, to come in and deliver. Do you think people are more willing to to maybe pay for something like that as opposed to potentially coming to someone like yourself? You know, they see the almost the DVSA as an authority. So if they're delivering it, well, it, it must be good. But but who's this Lee Brooks chap? What's he got to offer? Yeah, I mean, th- there's a point there. If if anything, I'll sort of raise a couple of questions. You want the DVSA, they will come out and they will do uh, presentations. Some very senior people that I know from the DVSA who I've met through talking to them at instructor shows and things like that where they deliver presentations. But their remit, as they will tell you, is they are a testing um, organisation. They're not a training organisation, which is why really beyond that, they don't offer any training courses. So you're down to ultimately... Who is it that's delivering the training? What is their CV? What have they done? What are the reviews like? Do you know other people that have been on their courses, delivered things that they've done? There is no, unfortunately, national accreditation. I've talked about this before. The DVSA will only, at the moment, only accredit a fleet course. Um, There's discussion that they will accredit a towing course, as we all know. That's quite topical at the moment, B plus E. But beyond that, you can't go along to the DBSA and say, I have developed this course, will you accredit it for me and put your stamp of approval on it? The closest that you can get is perhaps a bit on audit. But the downside, well, not the downside, but the thing about audit is there are a lot of people on audit that run the original audit before it changed, they were grandfathered in. So they haven't gone through a current assessment process. And even if people haven't gone through the current assessment process, well, it's about you, you delivering your lesson against the standards to a trainee PDI. And helping a PDR, but your course may be nothing to do with that. You may, for example, be looking at driving development courses that might have no real relevance on that side of things. So there is a big gap there for, you know, how, how do I know this course is any good? How is it accredited? Yes, you can look at um, things like um, the National Qualifications um, Framework. So you can go to an accreditation body. You could have your course officially accredited. The downside to that is it is quite expensive, and there's then an additional cost per learner. 
don't have a don't have an issue with that. But you've got to think: what are you really gaining by going on the NQF other than say that seal of approval? Unless you're looking at attracting government funding, uh, perhaps army resettlement grants, or you're looking at bill credits and things like that. Other than the fact that it is just a seal of approval for somebody looking for the course. So there's that side of things, that accreditation, and also in a course, for example, that I've put together recently that we've been developing quite sort of delivering, I should say, quite successfully. If I want to go and then change that course, and I think, well, actually, I don't like that module. We're not getting good feedback on that particular module, so I'm going to take that out. I'm going to deliver that perhaps online. I'm going to drop in a different practical module there. With an accredited course, I can't do that because that course is now accredited on the basis of what I've sent to the accreditation body and said, this is what I'm delivering. So now that's going to have to be readdressed and re-accredited. So then you don't have the flexibility. And is it worth the cost for the amount of volume that we're putting through? That's not to say that people aren't at, people haven't accredited courses out there. There's a couple of very well-known ones, as far as I'm aware, are excellent courses. Again, a few things I want to touch back on there. I think that in terms of knowing which course to go for, it can be quite difficult, I think, because I've, I've not been in this industry long, you know, five five years, I think it is now. And, you know, you look at the last two years, it's, there's not been a lot going on. So so for me, looking to develop now, the, the way I'm doing it is, yet, yeah, like you said, looking at reviews and looking at the way people are set up, but I'm just finding speaking to people. I've, I've yet to find someone, and I'm not referring to like the podcast, just like a, a one-to-one conversation. I've yet to find someone who runs a course that I can't say, can we have a chat? And I can speak to, and I think that often it's not always about the structure of the course. It's about the person delivering it. Because many of I mean, the standards check, for example, many of the standards check courses are going to be similar in content. In, in, but the person presenting it might be someone that clicks for you. And yeah. I think that's massive. I, I shout about this bloke all the time on the show, but Bob Morton, for whatever reason, the way he works, the way he talks, just clicks for me. He's yeah. going to be someone that I continue to use because he's built that rapport and he delivers quality. So he's got them two things. That doesn't mean I'll never use anyone else. But yeah. I think that's that's massive trying to find someone that works for you. Is that is that what you find? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you should mention Bob there because I've chatted to Bob quite a bit in the past. And in fact, um, if you look on his YouTube channel, he's done an interview with me along similar sort of lines um, to what we're talking about today, background to the ADI industry. Um, so, yeah. I think it is very important the personalities as well and how the training is delivered. Anybody can stand in front of a PowerPoint presentation and bore you to death for four hours, but it's how actually it's delivered and how you get on with the um, with the um, candidates or delegates, I should say, not candidates. I think uh, one of the other things you kind of touched on there, you said about being accredited and, and you know, if you do that, the course is structured, the course is rigid, but if we... Um, you know, if you've got your own course and you, you can flex it however you want, I think that's quite important. I, I, I like, you know, that's something I'd not considered. So I think that's a massive thing. Um, and I know that I've spoken to and, and worked with a lot of people outside the industry over the past five or six years based around the business side rather than the actual teaching side, if you like. And I've got some absolute pearls of wisdom from them. I mean, I used to work with uh, Red Driving School. Now, I had no issue with Red at all. I left because it was the right thing for me to do at the time. Mm-hmm. When I left, I was going to reduce my prices straight away. That was my mindset. And it was through speaking to someone that's actually been on this show, uh, a chap called B- Dino Tartaglia, who was a, a very wise man, uh, not from the industry, who convinced me to put my prices up. And if I hadn't have worked with him, I wouldn't have done that. And I think that I think as an industry, we, we, we're very, very skeptical of 
not just people in the industry, but people outside the industry that might be like, oh, well, what, what do you know? You're, you're not an instructor. So I think that it's assessing that that individual and seeing where we can go from there. Um, and in terms of like reviews and feedback, how would you say to interpret that? Because I, the thing that I find with reviews is you, you get two sorts. You either get the people that love you and they're the ones that go and leave reviews or the people that hate you. And they also often tend to leave reviews sometimes <laughs> yeah. as well. But in terms of using the reviews, in terms of using feedback, would you have a suggestion for how people to do that? Because I could ask Joe Bloggs about Lee Brooks, and he could, I hate that Lee. He, he's horrible. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, I read reviews all the time. I'm not talking about driving instructors. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, if I'm going for a meal somewhere, and quite often I'll go online and I'll check out the reviews. You know, you've got to look at the balance of the ways of opinion, really. You know, what's the overall rating? You know, you're not going to get the level of reviews perhaps on an instructor course, but at least if they're people that you potentially you know or local instructors that you know or people that you see that perhaps are well-known within the Facebook community or the ADR community that you're involved in that are giving their opinion on it, then you can give some weight to that. But I don't think there's a definitive answer. It's no different to you or me looking at reviews for an Indian restaurant if we're going out on a Saturday night. You've got to, as you say, take some of them with a pinch of salt. I quite like reading the negative ones sometimes. You'll get like sort of 490, like five stars. And then I like to read like the 10 one star ones. <laughs> but it's interesting as well, because I think sometimes a negative review can be negative to them, but positive to you or, or yes. vice versa. I mean, the story I've told on this show before, and I'll, I'll keep repeating it because I think it's relevant, was I can remember a couple of years ago re- reading a post from another driving school that spoke about um, not stopping at the side of the road. You know, if you do a one-hour lesson, you'll basically drive 58 minutes. They don't stop and talk. Yeah. And that's not a criticism of that, by the way. You know, if that's what they want to do, that's that's up to them. And I'm sure that attracted a lot of people, but it would have deterred me. Yes. I, I wouldn't want that. So I went and did the opposite post, talking about, mm-hmm. we'll stop as long as you want. If we don't drive in a lesson, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that attracted people to me. So I think it's it's interesting the way that um, reviews can be interpreted. Uh and on that note, we're going to take a moment and we're going to set the table. So I am Terry Cook, as I mentioned, of the Instructor Podcast, and you are listening to the Green Room Edition, where we're talking uh, industry-specific topics. And we're largely today talking about CPD and if we should be paying for it and if there's a problem paying for it. But if you want to hear more from the Instructor Podcast, firstly, make sure you subscribe. Go click that subscribe button wherever you listen. So it drops into your feed whenever there's a new episode. But beyond that, go and check out the instructorpodcast.com. Over there, you'll find guest profiles and recommendations. You'll find blog posts. You'll get access to all the old episodes and all the new ones, in fact. And then lastly, I'm just going to mention, go check out the Instructor Podcast Premium. That's where you can sign up for £10 a month and get a whole host of content dropped into you every week so we're doing things like standards check checklists where we're breaking that down analyzing the different competences of it i've got test talks with people joining me i had a wonderful lady named annie gendron who joined me recently we did a 20 minute presentation on how to create the best content for your course so we've got all that awesome stuff over there so be sure to check that out at the instructorpodcast.com but i'm also joined as i mentioned previously by the marvelous lee brooks uh, lee do you want to take a moment to tell us about yourself a little bit about your background and what you've got to offer 
Hi guys, thank you for listening in. My name's Lee Brooks, as Terry said, and I am an ADI and an ADI trainer. I'm based in South Worcestershire. Um, I'm also involved with some of the ADI associations. I'm on the governing committee of the ADI NJC, which is my main claim to fame, as some of you may have heard me from, or heard of me from. Um, prior to that, my background in the driver training industry, long before being an ADI, I was in the police. I left the police, I did a freelance blue light training, then I went off in many different directions, but just to keep my sort of hand in, as it were, because I come from a, a background of um, driving enthusiasts within the family, I thought, well, I'll go and just stay a civilian observer, as it were, for the IM and ROSPA, um, delivering civilian advanced tests. So I did that for a couple of years, or more longer than a couple of years. As a result of that, I met several driving instructors um, and I thought, well, why not give this a go then? You know, I've done it at the one end of the industry. I'm not entirely happy with where I was working at the time, so that was an option. So I thought, well, let's go and give this this a go. Um, and that was where the story started. Awesome. And and what are you delivering now? Because I know you are delivering stuff to ADI. So what have you got to offer for us guys? Um, for ADIs at the moment, the main course that, well, I'm delivering, first of all, I'm delivering courses for the ADI NJC. So if you have a look on their website, you'll find a variety of uh, workshops that are being delivered over the next couple of months. I think the next one I'm delivering in the West Midlands is a workshop on the, uh, well, formerly the DL25, how the marking works on that and how to deliver a mock test. Um, ADI and JC were also delivering standards check workshops and in the last lockdown some of you may have seen me on some of the virtual the online workshops that we're doing I'm also delivering uh, with another driving instructor trainer locally that I work with um, a two-day train the trainer course because as we've all seen at the moment with a vast amount of PDIs coming into the industry ADIs are either wanting to dip a toe into the water of training ADIs or perhaps being approached by the franchises that they work for and that's to be excuse me, it has to be involved in training ADIs. So as a result of that, we've put together a short two-day course. Next one will probably be running in January. Keep an eye on Facebook for that. You'll see it on my Facebook feed. Um, just to teach you the basics of how to get a PDI set up, what to deliver over those first few lessons with them, covering the national standard, the logbooks, um, getting your own driving upskilled, uh, and everything kind of related to that. Cool. And where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, you can find me at adi-toolbox.com, which is my, well, I say it's mine, it's not really mine, it's shared with another, another trainer that I work with, but it's our portal for delivering um, training courses specifically for ADIs, and you can find my own driving school website at xtdriving.com, of course, or you can find me on Facebook. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure there's links to that in the show notes for this, so be sure to go check that out if you're listening now. But if you are listening on sort of public podcast feed, this is where you're going to leave us. So what I suggest you do is you go head over to theinstructorpodcast.com, go check out the premium, and you can go listen to the, the rest of this show, where I'm sure we're going to get a whole host of more insightful comments from Lee, and maybe a bit of waffle from myself. But either way, appreciate you listening, and uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.